Hi, I'm George Bolarki. WFUV's Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation as part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign on kids in foster care. Cityscape will return next week at this time. From becoming a foster parent to simply being a mentor, there are many ways to help foster children in need. Kids in foster care can face a variety of challenges, especially older kids who face aging out of the system without knowing what their next step will be. Hi, I'm George Bolarki, news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from combating drug addiction to at-risk youth to veterans returning home. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign focused on kids in foster care. With me today to discuss issues related to kids in foster care are Jess Danhauser. Jess is president and CEO of the Family Support and Youth Development Organization, Graham Wyndham. Anthony Trifaro is a foster parent with Graham. Iris Lico Foster is a Graham adoptive parent. Also with us are Bill Baccalini. Bill is president and CEO of the New York Foundling. And Jasmine, a student who has received support from the Foundling. Hello to all of you. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Bill, let me start with you. What's the mission of the New York Foundling? Um, I guess I'd say as, as one of the city's oldest and largest agencies, we care for and support children and families in both the child welfare and juvenile justice system so that they might lead full and productive lives uh, within their communities. And what's the history of the organization? How far does it go back? Well, it doesn't go back as far as uh, 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 Graham. And we're going to talk uh, about that history in a second <laughs> there, Jess. Um, 1869. Uh, down in down in the lower village, um, um, and we've grown from there to be about a hundred and fifty million dollar organization with twenty five hundred staff. And so, I, my my only hope is that um, that our future is as bright as our history is rich, and that's what we're dedicated to to ensuring. Jess, I understand the Broadway musical Hamilton helped to raise the profile of your organization. How so? It did. Well, we're really fortunate that one of our co-founders and our first directress uh, was Eliza Hamilton, way back in 1806, and her story was thrust onto the stage recently with Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. Um, It's been an extraordinary opportunity um, to raise the profile. It's also been wonderful for a lot of our kids. The cast and crew has spent time with them doing arts theater workshops and just being in relationship with them which is something all of our kids need, a wonderful, positive, lasting relationship that they can rely on. And how do you define the mission of Graham? Our mission is to make sure that each of the 5,000 children we serve has a successful foundation for life. We think it has two parts. The first is family. Every young person needs a network of support around them. Family can be defined in, in any way, um, in so many ways, but it's a necessity for all of us. And the second part is to make sure they have the preparation and then the opportunity to succeed in a career as an adult. 
and our job is to make sure that foundation is there for each one of our kids. Jasmine, how did you come to know the New York Foundling? Um, it was after I had graduated from Farmingdale State College with my associates in criminal law enforcement. The goal, well, the plan was to transition back into foster care with my foster mom's home. But then there was this thing called the dorm project with the foundling and other people as well, where we dorm at Queens College while we're getting our degrees at one of the CUNY schools. When did you first enter foster care? When I was 13. I'm currently 22. What was that situation like for you to enter foster care? Um, honestly, I was always one of those uh, kids who was very sure of how they felt. My mom did a good job raising me that way. And I knew that I didn't want to be in a certain situation anymore. And even being so young, I just knew that I had to make a change, not knowing that foster care would be that change. I had no idea that, that that would be the outcome, but it was. And as hard as it was, it's always been enemy to get through tough times. And what are the challenges of being a kid in the foster care system? There's so many. Mm. Um, a lot of it is having, having that family aspect. Definitely, you have to know how to just get through it. You have to know that the only thing you can do is, is get through it and not soak in your misery and not soak in the situation and just know that you have a goal. And if you have that goal, you just work towards the goal and just tunnel vision the goal. That's what I've been doing. How many kids are in the foster care system in New York City? Bill or Jess, do you have the, that answer? Yeah, today just under 9,000. That underestimates how many kids have come through our, our doors, though. And our job is to continue to stick with them even after they're in foster care. So the founding is doing that through the dorm project. Jasmine's 22, and she's still getting that support. We do it through a coaching program called Gram Slam, where we coach kids until they're 24 to make sure they're launched into their career. So there's thousands more beyond the kids who are sleeping in a foster care home tonight that need our support. What is it that you see are the biggest challenges facing kids in foster care today? I think the biggest challenge is to make sure they have the stability of a relationship with someone who loves them and is going to be by their side and have their back for the rest of their life. When you don't have that, you're searching for that constantly. It's hard to concentrate in school. It's hard to figure out what your next step is. Once you have that and you believe that you do and you can trust in that, the sky's the limit. Our kids have enormous capacity. Often I think kids in foster care are way underestimated. Um, when they struggle, it's typically because of the adults, not because of them. And so we want to invest in that capacity and make sure that they have that stability to, to as I said earlier, a foundation that they can really jump from. Enter the two people sitting to your left, Anthony right. and Iris. What inspires right, one Iris. to become a foster parent, to become an adoptive parent, Anthony? I think um, anybody that has room in their heart and room in their home, that's what it was for me. And, and I had a space and I had time to help somebody or several kids with their lives and their futures. Um, I think especially for older children like um, the children that are in my home now, it's especially important because you want to guide them in the right direction through high school into college, whether it's in college or to work. And you have to be aware of the pitfalls because they're not going to remain in care forever, so they have to move out. They have to be prepared. Well, I think for me it's been a very good, a, a very, 
It, of course, there are times that it's not perfect. You know, we know that. But all in all, it's been a very rewarding experience to help somebody further their lives, especially with the older kids for me. How long have you been fostering now? Uh, more than 12. I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how many kids would count. you say you've worked with? How many kids I've have you had, entered in your home? I believe 15 or 16, whether they were short-term like respite or um, returning to parent uh, up into the, the two that I have now, they're going to be aging out. And one's been with me for four or five years and the other for several more, like six or seven. So, um, At what age does a child age out of the system now in New York? 21. 21. You can come in up until you're 18, but you age out at 21. With special circumstances, you can get waivers. For example, Jasmine is 22, and because she's pursuing you know, um, um, higher education, we can get waivers to keep a young person in care. Iris, when did you start fostering children? It was 15 years ago. 15 years ago. 15 years ago. What inspired you? Uh, love. I mm. see so many kids in the system, and I said, I, I need to help somebody. You know, I need to help them. And I opened my heart and my house to take newborns. Newborns? Newborns, yeah, from the hospital. Wow. What has that experience been like for you? Um... It was a good experience. Uh, too much love that the children give me, I, I give them. See them grow is very fantastic. How they go to school now and they call me mommy in their own mm. because they don't know no, no other mommy. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to have them home. I had one adolescent too. And their sibling, one small and one big, she's 18, she's going to college in Brooklyn now. And it's a good experience. So what inspired you from going to fostering a child to adopting a child? Well, the children will be missing they born. And the plan is to go back to the family because the family didn't have a plan. What is supposed to be my plan to take them because they mine. So I feel they will mine. I mean, if the parent wouldn't do what they have to do, then it's different because then we have a plan. The plan from one window is to reunite it with the family. There was nobody to do nothing for them and the family. So how many mine. children have you adopted? I, yeah, I have two. two. One is the, five the years old okay. and the other one is six. What percentage of children in foster care are returned to their biological parents? About 65. 65. About 65. With 20% getting adopted and about 12, 13% aging out. And our kids are not the only ones who need the long-term support. Our parents yeah. are um, doing an extraordinary job. Kids grow up. And we think the best support that we can provide for our foster parents, for our adoptive parents, is to be in community with other parents who know what they've been through. And so we've created, Iris was telling me earlier, that she still comes to our roundtables to meet with other adoptive parents, to spend time. They're on Facebook together. That community that is created, and for, foster, for folks that out there thinking about, can I be a foster parent, can I be an adoptive parent, my advice is to come spend time with our adoptive and foster parents, because if you, if you are like them, you will know it. And... 
it takes an enormous sacrifice. You know, Iris is making it sound simple that it was just love and she would be the backup plan. But to be the backup plan for years, and that often is what we require of foster parents, to be, I will be that parent, but I will also let go if their, if their parent is ready, um, is one of the most exquisite contributions I've ever seen a human give. And we see our foster parents and adoptive parents do it all the time. So it's not easy, but it is one of the most rewarding and loving things you could absolutely do in this world. Anthony, what's your advice to someone thinking about it? Perhaps they don't have any kids of their own, never had kids. Oh, well, I know for myself, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a few fears about, you know, what could go wrong, what the troubles could be. And, but I've gone through all of those, and they were not as bad as I thought they would be. Um, my advice would be put your fears aside. Uh, the need in the community for these children is great. So if you have the space for one child, two, three siblings, a couple siblings, no matter what age, to, to give it a shot. Uh, it's just like, ha I think, just like having your own kids. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, but once you experience that, it's a beautiful thing. Iris, your advice? Um, people ask me about the experience to be in foster parents, how it is. You know, they ask me a question, and the way I put it is not the way people think, people think, you a foster mom, they look at you in a different way because you're not the real mom and you have to deal with the parents. Well, you have to understand the parents that lost their children too because they were under stress. If you're parents, you know how it feels how to take the children from your house. So you gotta understand those parents too. So this is where the challenge comes when you have to deal with the parents and the schedule and way, the way you bring the kid to the agency. You have to be patient for all these things. The way the children react when they see the parents. Sometimes they attach to you. Sometimes they want to go to the parents. So this is all the challenge that people go through when they want to be a photo parent. But it's not that bad as people put it, you know. How hard is it when a child does go back to they go their back. Biological you have to be families. friend to the parent, like friendly. Try to help the parents. Even me, give advice to the other mother to what to do in front of the George, how to dress properly to come in front of the George. So the George, what you have to adjust to see, to prove that you are improving, to take your child back. And then after we make the reunion to reunite the children with the parents. I offer my help. Anytime you need uh, babysitting, or let's say the weekend you want to go dance, my house is open for your child. So they, it's not that bad because then the once children in are still a while, in your life. they will call mm -hmm. you and they bring the children so you could see it. Mm -hmm. Because their children ask for you too. They think you're the mommy. They have two mommy now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the way it is. Just how rigorous of a process is it to become a foster parent? It's intense. It's uh, importantly so, right? We have the lives of children in our, in our arms and in our hands. And so um, there's a full home study. Um, you get greeted by um, 
a New York family or a Graham Wyndham employee who gets to know you, who understands everything that's going on in your home, who lives there. Um, you get to come to not only an orientation, but the beginnings of training, and you learn a lot about what it's like to be foster parents. You meet other foster parents. You get to meet some young people, understand, understand their experience. And so it's about a eight-week process um, where you're going through training, where we're getting to know you, and we decide and whether or not that is the, the right fit, whether it's to be an adoptive parent or a foster parent or some other way that you can contribute. What I say is sort of get involved and you'll figure out the best way that's right for you. Um, it's a very personal decision. It's a decision to be made as a family. So we also really make sure all the, the kids in the home, all of the adults in the home, are, are really around this decision because if you're going to invite a young person who's been through a lot into your home, we want to know that that entire unit is ready to do this and to, and to stick by that young person. Because the last thing we want is for children to have another um, abandonment or disruption. And so we, we take it really seriously. We get to know, but there's a lot of support along the way. We have foster parent coaches who were foster parents in the past who will help folks think that through. Um, but you, know, you, don't ha- you don't have to be ready to have a child in your home to reach out and start to learn more. Um, you'll make the decision as you go through that process. Jasmine, you said you were 13 when you entered foster care, right? Yes. So how was that navigating being in foster care and being a student, going to school? Um, well, the good thing about it was that my foster home wasn't too far away from the high school. Well, I was in eighth grade. It mm-hmm. wasn't too far from my school. So I was still able to continue in the same school with the same friends, same advisors. Um, one of the things that I consider an issue was that my advisor, she was also my science teacher, and she, she told me, she's like, hey, if you need more time on your like, uh, report, you could take more time. And it was then that I said, hey, like, I'll, I'll submit the assignment when it's due. I don't want this to become like, my crutch. Like, I yeah, don't you want didn't want special start, treatment. Yeah, like, you know, like, I felt like everyone already knew my mom came to the school. It was a big, big thing. So it's like, It'll, it would have been different had I went to a different school. No one would have known anything. But to go back into your school and everyone knows how your parents look and now you're having different parents come up for your um, conferences for, like, report cards. Um, so, I mean, that's how it was. The good thing about it was that my school was middle school and high school. So I stayed throughout high school. So my all of the staff and faculty was familiar with my situation. Um we never really talked about it. It wasn't a conversation. Uh, the hardest part about it definitely was the going home part because I would um, visit my mom and I would have to go home. And my youngest sibling, one time, she's like, um, I'm like, I'm going to leave. And she's like, well, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, I'm going home. And she's like, you are home. And I'm just like, you know, so that's the biggest thing that had a, a toll on me or even like applying for colleges where everyone's uh, bringing in, like, their families, um, like, income forms and stuff. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to do yours later because we have, you know, you're, like, it's, like, it's different. And I'm just, like, okay. Or, like, moving into college and you see everyone's family there and I have, like, my worker, who I love. I love my workers, but it's, like, I'm clearly, I look different than my workers did. So it was a lot of, like, do like am I gonna wear a mask am I gonna create a story like a, these are a new environment no one knows anything so am I gonna tell them exactly who these people are or am I gonna be honest about it so a lot of it was just being um not ashamed but just 
embarrassed or not sure how people would react and being sensitive to that information. So. But yet here you are today sharing yeah. your story, right? Yeah, because, I, I, you know, I learned that I'm, I'm not a victim. Like, I'm not going to use my story to be a victim. I'm using it to be a voice. And I absolutely love advocating and speaking up for um, former youth in care and current youth in care because not everyone has, um, has it in them to just be honest and to speak up about their experiences in care regardless of what the topic is about. And I have that in me, so, yeah. Bill, talk to me more about the programs you have in place to help foster kids succeed um, in school. Gosh, first I'd say anybody who listened to Jasmine and questions whether these kids are resilient or, have the, or don't have the capacity to learn just isn't listening. And, and these two people here, if Jess wasn't here, I'd say come over to the family. Um, um, inspired by love. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, we, at the, at the family, we believe that beyond keeping kids safe, perhaps our, best, our greatest obligation to them is to get them educated. Um, and for too long, we don't think um, the system has paid enough attention to educating kids, so um, kids who find themselves involved in the system. So what, we're trying to tackle this in a couple of different ways. We have a charter school in the Bronx dedicated almost exclusively to kids who find themselves in the child welfare system. We, uh, we created the dorm project now with a partnership with ACS and, and, and CUNY. And then we've developed our own sort of um, a one-on-one -on -one tutoring program. And in just four years have quadrupled the number of kids coming out of the family who are going to college. So no one should question the capacity of these young people. If they're not going to college, it's not their fault. It's our fault. And so we are going to uh, double down on education because if you look at life trajectory, we can do an awful lot of other things for these kids. But if we don't get them educated we are likely to be back here in another 15 or 20 years talking to about their kids or their cousins. Because you know what? Uh, uh, someone like Jasmine, I mean, she's, God, I'd love to clone her. Um, she's so darn focused and so focused on the end game. And that's, that's, that's us. So we're, it's not the kids that are failing. It's not the foster parents or adoptive parents that fail. When there's failures, it's Jess, it's mine, it's the systems. But we think we've turned a corner. So for us... Uh, we have just pushed education, 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 and, and we, believe it's, um, we believe it's working. I was going to say right now, are kids like Jasmine still the exception, not the rule, when we look at the statistics? Um, well, actually, well, here are the statistics. Um, I'm as grim as they sound now. Only about 10% of the young people coming out of foster, in foster care coming out of high school go to college, and only about 3% of of those kids ever graduate. Those are national statistics. Through some of the work that Jess is doing at Graham and some of the work that ACS has supported, we're starting to move that needle. As I said, we're sending four times as many kids to college as we are now. The dorm project's only in its second year. It's going to scale to 200, uh, uh, to 200 uh, uh, beds in, in CUNY dorms. So I think people are onto the idea that we can care and we can provide maintenance support, but if we don't get these young people educated, we haven't done what we're supposed to do. Just talk to us more about your programs. I know you have an after-school program. We do. We have a whole set of community programs, therapeutic programs. I think the, what's most important to our young people in foster care and to our foster and adoptive parents is our program that we call Gram Slam 
We serve about 350 young people in it. We have about 65 kids who are in college today um, who are in that program. Some of them are graduates from our high school. Some of them are kids who have come through our foster care program or one of our community centers. What, what I, Bill's a mentor, and everything he's saying is exactly right. We have to get these kids educated. And sometimes what gets in the way are the small things. Um, if Jasmine's worker wasn't there um, when, when she needed to move in, you know, one of our kids called me one day and said, I don't have money for a book that a teacher just added to the syllabus. And I don't have a credit card to buy the laundry card. And I'm just different. These little signs that you don't belong here really, really hit our kids hard. And so you have to be there in that moment, in a relationship with them that they trust you, that you'll respond just by solving it, by getting them a visa card that they can figure out how to do and set up that plan by making sure that they have that book and they don't have to worry about it. What we do for kids with means in our society is we suspend reality for four years they go to school. Our kids need that moment where they can just focus on being their best and getting to that next level. As, as we've said repeatedly, our kids have absolute full capacity to do well in this world. We have to make sure we provide that insulation for them in their most important moments in their life and they're gonna thrive. 3% is deplorable. I think we're seeing in New York that we will triple, quadruple, hopefully we'll be in the range where kids in foster care have the same outcomes as, as any other kids. And I don't think there's any reason we can't get there. Anthony, how much of a focus do you place on helping these young people succeed in school, sitting down, helping them with their homework, setting them up for success? Um, I don't know about helping with homework because my two boys are much older now. Okay. One's 20, <laughs> one's 22. They're both in college. They're both working. So I'm really proud of them. They, they have really turned their lives around and they have really strived to increase their education and, and make a plan for their futures. Um, one of my boys was doing really poorly in high school. He was in a terrible high school. And uh, with the help of Graham Slam, they've been very, very helpful as far as helping my older kids uh, with papers for college or just guidance or anything they need. And they help to move my son to a much, much better school, and everything turned around from then. Um, it's just something just clicked with my boys at a certain point. Uh, you have to understand it's really hard on these kids because, you know, anybody that's taken from their home and from their families, it's really hard. It's going to take them a while to overcome, and we want to try to keep the family together, like... Um, my son, who's doing the best as far as with school and that, and who really has made a change in his life, his mom and his sister come to visit like every other weekend. I try to include them in things so he doesn't feel like he's, his family has disappeared and he's moved to a different family. I want to like increase the family instead of pushing them away. It's not always possible, but this has made a big difference in his life, and I think. Uh, the Graham Slam program has made a huge difference. Well, we're just about out of time. Jasmine, I want you to have the last word. You've inspired me. You've inspired a lot of people today. Inspire us with the last word. What do you want to leave people with? I just want to leave it with a thank you 
to all of you. Um, I've definitely come to my end of uh, being in care. It's It's been a quite a long journey. Like I never thought about that it's been 10 years this year. So I just want to say thank you to all of you guys here because every one of you, if it wasn't exactly you, it was someone with your positions in the agencies. Um, I specifically want to say thank you to you two because you two um, represent my foster mom. Her name's Angela Garcia. And I love her so, 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 so much. She is amazing and it matters definitely the amount of love you give and how genuine it is. Um, my foster mom, she never took girls. She had all boys. So to take me, it was like, I don't know what it was. It must have been the love in her heart. It must have been her feeling like she had the space. And I don't know what I would have done, definitely transitioning into her home, feeling really left out. So I just want to say thank you so much. And I'm going to make you proud. Thank you. Thank, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for the special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet, focusing on kids in foster care. I want to thank all of our guests, Jess, Anthony, Iris, Bill, and Jasmine. For more information about the programs they're involved with or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit wfuv.org slash strikeaccord. I'm George Boldarki. Thank you so much for being with us.